Welcome to the Cannabis Review in 2021. It's the first show of the year and I couldn't be starting off with a better guest to be joined by. We're going to be talking all things hemp and I think there's no better man on the planet to be able to discuss things with. I'd like to introduce Jeff Whaling. How are you doing, Jeff, today? I'm very well and welcome to 2021 and certainly it's a pleasure to speak to your audience today. Thank you very much. I'm hoping we can bestow a bit of information to the audience here and help highlight a couple of topics that are going on at the moment. So I'd like to maybe, if you want to just basically start off and just introduce to everybody what, what, what position it is that you have and how you kind of got into the industry where you are at the moment. Yeah, so I've taken a, a unique path, I guess, like many of us. Um, I, I'm born in Canada, uh, although I now am living in the United States and um, chair of the National Hemp Association. Um, I uh, wrote the very first uh, speech given by a minister of the federal cabinet on the decriminalization of marijuana way back in 1979. Um, and certainly that started a discussion about uh, cannabis reform in Canada. Um, and although it was not part of my portfolio, the whole discussion four years later was about returning the hemp crop to the American land or to the Canadian landscape. And certainly we saw that happen. I saw the discussions, I saw the challenges that were confronted in Canada. And although I left government and then had a very successful career in motorsports and was a sports agent in IndyCar and NASCAR um, in North America, um, I had developed a relationship with uh, actor Paul Newman. Uh, he and I did an awful lot of um, activities and had a business plan to introduce green racing to the North American marketplace. But as any of your audience might know, Paul Newman was a leader in trying to help children around the world. Um, and uh, when I retired from that, Paul was long dead. And I heard a story about young Charlotte Figgy, who uh, really became the face of the CBD movement in uh, North America, if not around the planet. I reached out to her mother and said, how could I help you? Uh, wanted to carry on Paul Newman's legacy. Uh, we uh, got together, we formed one of the largest uh, advocacy groups uh, called the Coalition for Access Now and started the process of passing legislation uh, for access for CBD. I realized that we were not going to be able to pass uh, that legislation in Congress. Um, and uh, I got involved with some national organizations. The National Hemp Association was uh, one of them. I was asked to become the chair some six months later, and I realized that the approach that we were taking to pass legislation should not just be focused on 2% of the hemp crop, but to focus on hemp as a commodity. Uh, so we uh, reconfigured our strategy. We looked at uh, hemp as being more of a farming crop and the opportunity it could provide farmers as it can around the world. Um, and certainly that is what allowed us for the first time ever to bring Senator Mitch McConnell, uh, who leads the GOP in the Senate, and Chuck Schumer, who leads the opposition, um, together on one issue. It became a bipartisan issue. Um, and certainly we are now full speed ahead in America uh, to build that commodity crop, um, just like we're going to build soybean, or we've seen the build out of soybean and corn. Amazing. Uh, I couldn't have a better person on to talk about the topic today. You've had a, a very successful career to date. I'll jump straight into the first topic that I wanted to bring up, and that's the Collective Growth Corp that you've set up. I, would you like to explain to the audience what exactly that is and the ambitions and plans that you have for it? Yeah, so I realized as a volunteer, um, you know, for five and a half years that, you know, it was one thing to get legislation passed, but we had to acknowledge and recognize that, 
you know, hemp had been absent our landscape in North America for 85 years. I knew what had happened in Canada 30 years ago, that there was no infrastructure, there was no equipment, um, and certainly education was really going to be very important um, to get consumers and end users um, comfortable with talking about uh, part of the cannabis uh, plant. Um, so we decided that not only would we get the legislation passed, I continued to be an advocate and a volunteer until the president signed this into law. I knew right away I, we needed to bring capital and investment to kind of address the supply chain issues. You know, the reality is um, that this is not a chicken and egg issue. This is a scrambled egg issue. No manufacturer um, who is going to have large demands like the automotive industry is going to take on uh, a hemp pilot program or even research if they don't know at the end of that research if there's going to be a supply chain. Uh, there is no equipment in North America that can harvest a crop that has the potential of growing 21 feet tall and that all parts of that crop have a revenue source, whether it be seed, fiber, um, the herd, and even the roots um, and the leaves are CBD. So, you know, how are we going to commercialize and bring this? So um, I was the president of Canopy Growth's HIP uh, developments, which was responsible for their uh, hemp rollout. And uh, certainly Bruce Linton, who is now my partner at Collective Growth, uh, we decided that we would launch the first um, global public fund called Collective Growth um, and raised $150 million from the very seat that I'm sitting in today. So I want to encourage your audience that all things are possible. Uh, so we raised that money and we went public on May the 1st um, of 2020. Um, and then we started the process of looking at companies around the world that we could put together, all hemp companies initially, that we could put together under one umbrella uh, and then bring those companies to um, America to start that supply chain. The unfortunate reality is that given that we were a special purpose acquisition company that has very specific um, SEC rules, uh, including that any company we would have to uh, acquire uh, would have to meet uh, standards, audit standards for a publicly traded company, and that we'd have to spend 80% of that $150 million, so $120 million making acquisitions, it wasn't going to be possible. So Bruce and I and our team kind of reevaluated where we were. We looked at 170 entities around the world and we decided that um, maybe there's another roadway that we can take to help build out the hemp supply chain. Um, and we uh, have closed our first transaction uh, with what most people might think is a bit of a detour, um, but uh, we don't see it as that. We partnered with uh, Magna International, which is one of the largest automotive tier one suppliers in the world, and with BMW, who many will know, already incorporates sustainable fibers and hemp into the manufacturing of their i3 and i8. Um, and together, we have brought a company called uh, Innovix uh, Technology, which is an Israeli LIDAR um, technology company to the public market. We hope that that deal, which is a $1.3 billion transaction, will close in Q1 of um, this year. Okay, unbelievable. So you guys have gotten a lot done in the last while. I love hearing it. It's great to... Uh, and hear. again, from this very seat, uh, which yeah. again uh, tells me that all things are possible under COVID. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. There's opportunities there for those who are willing to seek them and to, to find them out. 
Um, I'll jump straight into the second topic, and it's something I know you've got a good bit of uh, knowledge and experience with, and it's the USDA interim final rule on industrial hemp. Can you explain this as an overview to the audience who might not understand what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So the 2018 uh, Hemp Agricultural Farming Act um, became part of the 2018 Agricultural Improvement Act. It was signed into law by the president on December the 22nd of 2018. And once that legislation became law, it allowed all federal agencies, including USDA, to start to look at uh, policies and implement them as it related to the language in the legislation uh, that would allow hemp to become a commodity crop. Um, and the legislation gave USDA up to a year to develop uh, rules. What I like to remind not only our members, but um, audiences around the world is that we have to remember that groups like the National Hemp Association and advocates um, have been working on hemp since uh, 2013. The 2014 Farm Bill began the process to allow research of hemp, but it did not allow any U.S. federal agency from touching it. Only the 2018 Farm Bill allowed that. So we have four years worth of experience working with provinces and other organizations uh, and states who undertook to start to research hemp. Um, so USDA had to catch up. I can say that they did a masterful and Herculean lift to get interim final rules, the first phase of them out within eight months. Um, but once we started to look at them and review them, they really did not reflect what was happening on the ground. Um, and the relationship that we at the National Hemp Association have with USDA, they look at us as one of the most trusted voices um, as a nonpartisan group. Um, when we said to them, you know, we need to make some significant changes. Uh, they agreed to reopen um, the public comment period, and they did so last um, last September. Uh, they closed it in October, and I know, and I'm happy to tell your audience that those interim final rules are in the White House right now, the Office of Budget Management. Most of the issues that we have raised that reflect the reality on the ground are going to be in the new interim final rule. Um, and the other thing that is important is that it also will change the date by which this interim final rule will become a final rule to um, January 31st of 2022. Okay, excellent. That's definitely given a, a depth of information to that topic and thank you very much for that. The third episode or third topic that I'm gonna bring it back to, and this is, I've got a couple, kind of couple of topics for this. It's the future of the global hemp industry. Do you see a, a situation where there's a synergistic gathering of all the different farmers across Europe and they trade as a block together? Or do you see it being more fragmented in the future? How do you see the global hemp industry playing out? Do you see more farmers going for growing it for different sources apart from CBD because the price is bottoming it out? Or what are your thoughts on those two kind of avenues for the global hemp industry? I know it's an issue that's um, near and dear to your heart, but I have to say that CBD has been the bane of my existence as the chair of the National <laughs> Hemp Association. You know, it is what most people, most consumers, most politicians uh, think hemp is. 
Um, and as you and, and I and many of your audience members uh, who are interested in this crop will know is that CBD only represents 2% of the potential of this crop. Um, and so what I've realized is uh, here in America, we've had you know a lot of investment, but we've also had a lot of failures big failures um, and the farmers have been left on the wayside. Um, and so I need to go back in and start to um, rebuild trust um, so that you know we will be able to uh, embrace a, a large commodity um, and large scale farming groups to look at hemp. Uh, but you know the combination of what I know from a, from a practicality, from what's happened on the ground, um, what's happened over the last year, um, certainly from collective growth perspective. If I look at all of those components, what I realize is that, you know, we need to be able to um, put that scrambled egg together. We need to be able to demonstrate to farmers that there is a market. They're never going to grow this crop unless that they know uh, that there's a place for them to sell it. And there are not going to be end users unless they know that there is a, a whole supply chain, as I said earlier. Um, and the path that we took at Collective Growth um, to, to build the supply chain isn't going to work from our um, financial uh, instruments perspective. It might work for others. So uh, Bruce and I, uh, we're not giving up. We're certainly not um, abandoning hemp. We're going to approach this differently. And we might look at uh, our business model that will be food uh, to pharma and then sustainable industrial disruption and look at what industries are out there already existing that are already successful that have the relationships with the end users that we can acquire and then bolt hemp onto or introduce that so that we can slowly start to convert farmers who are already supplying commodity companies and others with an opportunity to switch over a portion of their acreage um, onto uh, growing hemp as a commodity crop. And I think that's the path that um, should be taken globally. Um, the opportunities are huge. Um, you know, what we have taken five years to accomplish in the United States. Um, including just having the USDA uh, announce a $150 million research opportunity, um, grants of up to $10 million to help build out and research the hemp supply chain. That's what we're going to need to do over the next four or five years, uh, which is what I see as us being in that research phase. Uh, people will start to take it on. We will certainly need to realize here in the United States, as well as around the world, which varieties grow best um, and uh, what could they be used for, whether it be supplying the textile industry or the automotive industry or be a replacement for bioplastics. Um, or energy or, or feed for humans and food uh, for animals um, and, and oils. All of those things I think need to be researched. And we also need to go through the process of creating standards. Although hempcrete is a very popular uh, issue right now, I think that we would all be smart and, and certainly NHA is going to be leading this um, and researching as part of what we hope will be a successful NIFA grant um, to look at the supply chain of growing hemp, harvesting it, decorticating it, processing it to supply the construction industry. And as part of that will be, what are the standards in order to use hemp um, that can be approved for uh, building? If the standards don't exist, we have to go through that entire process. And that's the same for animal feed and 
um, other products that we know that hemp can supply. So um, slow and steady is the name of the game. I know I speak to a lot of uh, events around the world. I usually leave people with the thought that the next five years will be under research. 10 years from now, hemp will be everywhere if we do this right and and uh, boldly. And 20 years from now, when I'm long dead, people will say, well, what was the big deal? Because hemp will be um, with us everywhere. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I think CBD is the entry point for a lot of people who knew nothing about the plant, but the, 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 the abilities and the inventions and innovation that's going to come from this, I think we're going to see over the next couple of decades to come. I often think that there's a number of young entrepreneurs and innovators out there who are only coming into their business ideas now who will be thinking along the lines of hemp as, as one of the components for themselves to be successful in this world. Oh, listen, I, I am amazed every single day um, by, you know, it's one of those things, you know, when we started this process, uh, my colleague, Erica um, McBride Stark, who is the executive director of the National Hemp Association and one of the great resources of our industry. Um, you know, when we started this, there was a small group of people and we kind of formalized the organizations and we took this approach. Um, I was on a call yesterday with uh, probably 20 different divisions of Penn State University, uh, with people representing Hyundai, with entrepreneurs and others. And I kind of um, reflected on the fact that you know, this is what we've worked so hard for. Although it's difficult to let this go, it's like um, producing a child and seeing your child off to university. Um, you need to let it go. The things that I see are coming out of, and proudly so, seeing coming out of universities and, and young students is amazing. They're not developing technologies that are good for tomorrow. They're thinking about things that are 10 and 15 years from now. There's a product out in the market right now uh, that is called Hemp Black. Um, it is a textile that's being developed um, by uh, Jefferson University um, in uh, Pennsylvania and their research team. And it um, uses the uh, product, uh, the properties of hemp to uh, capture the energy from your body. And there is a diode that will be woven into the fabric that will allow you to read your biometrics. It's washable, it's usable. Um, and you know they even talk about uh, the fact that they might be able to change the look of that uh, textile all using um, the, the energy that's come from the sun and absorbed from your body. And I'm like, what? And then they said to me, oh, Jeff, you know what? There might be the possibility of us being able to make artificial arteries with hemp. Who knew? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I think we could be ending on a better topic like that. The, the, the outlier, that is the industry is very positive for the hemp industry all going according to plan with innovation kicking in. I can't thank you enough, Jeff, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to your man with a wealth of knowledge. Oh, well, listen, it's my pleasure. The work that you do to educate is by far more important than what I do every single day. So please uh, pass on the good word. Yeah, no, I much appreciate that. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll catch you with the next episode.